Oh, I think I hit it by accident. Praise the Lord. Can you all hear me now? Yes. Amen. Now, praise the Lord, brother. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. God is good, isn't he? Yes. Amen. He's good. The Lord has something to say today, and I wrestled with him for weeks, literally, up until actually this morning, middle of the night. God speaks to us. He loves to talk to us, doesn't he? Yes. And we need to maybe do more on our part to pay attention to what he has to say. Amen? That's very important to consider. I've been out of town for a while. I appreciate the prayers from my mother. She's not doing real well. She's nowhere near death or anything, but just having some physical problems. And uh, it's tough to watch as a son. That's just basically her and I left now. My, my own only sibling passed away in 1996. My dad passed away in 2017. So we've all she's got. But God is faithful. He's faithful. So our message today is an important one. I'm asking God to help me to take my time and recognize that he's in control and not me. It's interesting that there's a lot going on in this world, and I realized just the other day, I saw something on the news that next Sunday, the Russian-Ukraine war actually is going to enter its third year. Is that amazing? Does time go by fast? That's not the only war now. There are a lot of wars going on around the world that aren't necessarily militarily involved. But we're in a different kind of war, aren't we? Yes, we are. I want to share something with you. Most of you remember I gave my testimony a few months back, and I talked about the fact that I was giving you the G version, G-rated version, and it was highly, highly condensed and truncated. I want to share something with you that I didn't share that day that I experienced two years into this walk. I baptized in 1998. About two years later in 2000, I had an experience. Now, I know Brother Billy. I don't see him here. He's had a lot of experience. Amen, brother. He has, a lot, has had a lot of experiences that are similar to mine. I want to share one with you this morning. I have, my, I have family members that actually have told me that I take my walk with the Lord too serious. I have family members who have kind of disassoci disassociated themselves from me because they say I'm too serious about my walk with Jesus. Is it, is it, is it possible to ever be too serious about this? Never. But I'm going to share this just to give you an, an understanding of one reason why I'm so serious or as serious as I am. It was 2000, the year 2000, 2000-ish. My wife and I are sleeping. I wake up. It's about 5, 5.30 in the morning. We're in L.A. And the sun was just starting to come through, you know, the, the curtains. It was the breaking of the dawn. So I'm laying there, I open my eyes, and I sense a presence in the room. Now, we all as parents know we've had that experience where our kids are in the room early in the morning and they, they want to eat or they want to watch cartoons or do something. And they're just standing there watching mommy and daddy sleep. And you sense them there, but this was different. So I laid there for a few seconds and I lifted up my head, looked down at the, the foot of the bed, and I see a six-foot, five-inch-tall demon standing there. He looked like 
if you can imagine in your mind a teenage ninja mutant turtle dressed in all black. He's just standing there, and he's just staring at us. Didn't move, no expression, just staring at us. So I look at this for about 10 seconds, and I laid my head slowly back down. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm, I'm wide awake. This is not a dream. He's there, and I know he's there, and I saw him. So I, I wait for a few seconds. I lift my head back up and look at the foot of our bed, and he's gone. Gone. So I immediately woke my wife up. I said, dear wife, we need to pray. So we both get up, and we pray. So a few hours later, we call our friend, Miss P, the 80-year-old Jamaican sister that brought us into the message. And we tell her what happened. She had a serious connection with the Lord. She called Jesus, and she called God heaven. That's how she referred to them. And we told her what happened. She said, I'm going to pray. I'll get back to you when he responds to me. So later on that evening, she called. And she said, the Lord allowed you to see that. He opened your eyes. And I asked her, well, why was he there? Because he was staring at both of us. She said, no, no, no. He was staring at you. He was watching you, trying to figure out, because you're the head of the household, the priest of the home, he was trying to figure out how he could destroy you. Trying to figure out a way or means how he could kill you. So from that day forward, I said, you know what, this is a serious warfare. If God should remove his presence from you, brothers and sisters, for a microsecond, Satan will kill you totally dead. Totally. So we have to take our walk with Jesus much more serious than we do. This is not a, a game. This is real-life warfare, spiritual warfare. It is real deal, the real deal. I'm going to ask you all to do me a favor and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to read before we pray. Matthew 12. And the title of our message this morning is Hebrews 12, 14, re-examined. That word re-examined is a very interesting word. It can actually be spelled with or without the hyphen. So this scripture now, I read this over and over repeatedly over the years. And maybe three or four years ago I read it. You know how sometimes you come across a verse for whatever reason that the Lord sees fit? It hits you like a lightning bolt. I've read Hebrews 12, 14 several times. But then that one morning, it's, wow, this is a very profound verse. Extremely profound. But I want you to start for now in Matthew chapter 2. We're asking the Lord for a lesson this morning. Did I tell you to go to Matthew? Did I say something else? I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew 2. Matthew 2 first. And we're going to get to Hebrews 12 after we pray. Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to begin at verse 1. I'm going to ask respectfully, when you all get there, please respond by saying, Amen. 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 My clicker's not working for some reason this morning, so I wonder if you're using my hand on this laptop. Matthew 2 and verse 1. Lord, please bless your words as we read them. Please, Lord, help me to take my time. I want to get so much in. You are in control. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when Jesus was born... In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came what kind of men? Wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Is that a good thing? Is that a noble act? Mm. Three, verse three, Matthew 2, 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. That word troubled means in the original Hebrew, the Greek, I'm sorry, he was extremely agitated and fearful. Four, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Was there an ulterior motive with that question? Absolutely so. Five, and they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and then they speak or quote Micah 5, 2, in verse 6, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, with a capital G, that shall rule my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Again, an ulterior motive. Eight, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, have you found Jesus today? And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Mm. Now we're going to learn a couple of verses that the wise men were going to come back and do exactly that, what he asked them to do. Nine, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which we all know from the spirit of prophecy, amen, was actually a cluster of angels, correct? Amen. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now because many people, of course, read this and come to the conclusion that there were three wise men, but the Bible doesn't indicate that, does it? Maybe there were two, maybe there were eight, but there were three gifts. Key verse now. Verse 12, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country the same way they came. Is that what the Bible says? Another way. The lesson, brothers, sisters, is this. They were warned by God. They got instruction from God. And what did they do? They did exactly what God told them to do, exactly what he said. They obeyed. This is our template. God has given us much instruction in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, much. But we tend to take it as a buffet, and we can pick and choose whatever we want based on what we feel, how we feel. Brother, sister, that's not the kind of God we serve. He doesn't want a buffet. He wants us to obey all, every commandment, every statute, everything in this Bible. This is the last message to be preached to a dying world. We can't compromise. We cannot procrastinate. This is it. 
There's no more message after this. There's no fifth angel's message or fourth angel's message. Well, there's a fourth angel's message in Revelation 18, but that's another study for another day. The point is, it's all or none. Let's read. These wise men, or these men, were not Jews. I can put that another way. These men were not Seventh-day Adventists. Aren't we antitypical Jews? Yes, we are. I, I, I can't hear you. Yeah. Amen. But they had been waiting for the predicted Messiah. Are we waiting today? I pray so. They had studied prophecy mm, and knew the time was at hand when Christ would come. Is that what prophecy does? The Bible says we have also a more sure word of prophecy that ye do well and take heed as a light and as a light that shineth unto a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Doesn't the Bible say that? That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19, 20, and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who? The Holy Ghost. That's what prophecy does. It teaches us and we are expected to do what prophecy says. Amen? They were anxiously watching for some sign of this great event. We're seeing signs all over the place for this great event, the second coming, aren't we? Absolutely. That they might be among the first to welcome the infant heavenly king and worship him. They lived up to the dim light which shone upon them. They lived up to all the light. As dim as it was, they lived up to it all. Are we doing that in 2024 is the question, my brothers and sisters. This is a great example for us. They weren't even God's people, relatively speaking, but they still studied the prophecies to know that the time was at hand for Christ to come, the first coming. They looked for the signs of his coming and wanted to worship him, they lived up to all the light they had. In a special sense, all of us, Seventh-day Adventists, have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them, us, has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them, us, is shining wonderful light or great light. Remember now, the wise men had dim light. What do we have? We have the most light that any human being on this planet has ever had. The accumulation of centuries, yea, millennia of light. We have no excuse. Wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import. The proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. Now please get this point. There is no other work of so great importance. One. Two, they are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Nothing. Brother Nathan mentioned distractions in Sabbath school this morning. Satan is the master of that. He loves to distract. He used anything he can to take our minds off of this. And he's succeeding, unfortunately. We have far more to fear from within than from without. Hmm. That's very interesting, isn't it? 
the church is more dangerous than the world. The hindrances, distractions, to strength and success are far greater from the church itself than from the world. Is that amazing? Why is that? Well, the devil is pointing all of his ammunition at the remnant of Revelation 12, 17. He knows we have the last message. He knows that this world is going to be lightened with the glory of God when that National Sunday Law is passed, we all go out to give the, the loud cry of the third angel. So everything, he's focused everything on us. So is the Tullahoma SDA church exempt from that? No, it isn't. We're part of that remnant. The unbelief indulged. I'm going to pause that for a second. Oh, I forgot this is not working. Now, unbelief doesn't necessarily mean, let's, let's get some clarification. It doesn't mean I read Revelation 14, 6 through 12. If I want to include the second coming, I read 6 through 14. And I say to myself, I don't believe that. That's not necessarily what that means. That means you believe it, but again, it's a buffet belief. I'm going to choose this, and I'm going to discard and ignore that. That's what she's talking about. Unbelief indulged, the doubt expressed, the darkness cherished. You know, you can be in darkness and not even realize you're in darkness. Sister White makes a statement about her son. He was on a mission trip somewhere, and the Lord showed her in a dream that he was spending money buying Danish, buying little truffle, truffles and dainties. He calls them dainties. And she wrote him a letter. And she told him, you are in darkness. You are in grave danger. Because you know you're not supposed to be doing these things. You have the light on health reform. You shouldn't be eating these things. What are you doing? The Lord is displeased. We've got to be real today, brothers and sisters. It's no time to play games. We can be so hypersensitive as Adventists. The truth is the truth. And the Bible, my Bible tells me, the truth shall make me free. Darkness cherished. She told her son he was in darkness. Just remember that. Encouraged the presence of evil angels and opened the way for the accomplishment of Satan's devices. More to fear from within than from without. The Lord has a message today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your love, mercy, truth, grace, salvation, and love. We ask, Lord, that you would please tabernacle with us again. Remove anything from this place that is of a sinful nature. Remove anything that's from, a, from this place that may be of a demonic nature. We want to worship you, Lord, today in spirit and truth. We thank, love, and ask you so much for answering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please meet me in the New Testament, brothers and sisters, the book of Hebrews. We're now going to our scripture reading. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verse 14, our scripture reading. Hebrews chapter 12 and 14. We all get there. Please respond by saying amen. 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 Hebrews 12, 14. 
the Bible says. This is, by the way, the King, I noticed they put the uh, New King James in the bulletin. This is the King James Version, the authorized 1611 King James Version. Amen. The Bible says, follow peace with how many men? That includes women and children, correct? That's in a universal sense, men, women, and children. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. I read that, like I mentioned, about four years ago. And I said, this is, this is profound. We have to get along with everybody. We have to have holiness. We're going to learn a lesson today about holiness. It's much deeper than we understand or think. We must be holy. If we don't accomplish these two components in that verse, we will be lost. That's what the verse is saying. <laughs> is there any confusion in that verse? But follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now that word follow in the original Greek it's strong, 1377, it means to seek after eagerly, to run after swiftly, to catch a person or a thing, or to pursue. So we can't be taking this lightly. I had three brothers that I grew up with, junior high school, high school, college. I mean, Titus Steves, they were the closest thing I had to a, a blood brother. Because I never had a blood brother, just a blood sister. And she passed in 1996. So they were like my surrogate brothers, right? Went through, did, did everything together. Went through puberty together, played sports together, music, everything together, everything. We all lived within a one or two block radius in San Francisco. Got older, got in our late 20s, early 30s, got into some dirt, some nonsense, and we separated. And we didn't speak to each other for 25 years. And the Lord started impressing me after I read this. I said, I got to make this right. How can you go from being blood brothers or surrogate blood brothers to not speaking for a quarter of a century? That's a long time. So I started doing some research, went on Facebook. I called a couple of them. I called their parents. Their, their parents are still living. And I got their phone numbers. I did a lot of praying. I kept delaying for months, and finally I did it. I called, called the first one. I didn't know what to expect. I just called. I said, I got to do it. Lord, the Hebrews 12, 14 says I have to do it. This is a mandate from heaven. So I called the first brother. He was more happy to hear from me than I was to, hear, to talk to him. I couldn't believe it. And I asked the Lord to touch their hearts before I called. Called the second brother, same thing. Third brother, same thing. It's like time stood still. It stood still. God is an answer of prayers. So we have to study today. We're going to go through a, a slew of Bible. We're going to go through a slew of the spirit of prophecy. Now somebody might be thinking, well, I don't need the spirit of prophecy. Give me the Bible. Well, that's foolishness. I can show you in the Bible, in the Bible, a quote, a verse that says that the Bible and the spirit of prophecy are equally important. It's right in there. Now, the Bible is the standard. The Bible is the standard. But we, there's a verse right here. It's clear. I've read it a thousand times. You probably have, too. Probably read right over it. It tells you that they're both equally important. But again, that's another study for another day. Turn with me, please, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6. Are you ready to study? 
Amen. Luke 6, we're going to pick up at verse 27. Luke 6 and verse 27. Luke chapter 6, the third of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Dr. Luke, the physician, the great physician. Amen? Well, the sub-physician under the great physician who was Jesus. Luke 6 and verse 27. Are we there? Again, the Bible says, But I say unto you which hear, Love your enemies. Do good to them which what? Is that, is that easy to do? That is not easy to do. We're all carnal by nature, right? We all have pride. But the Bible says this is what we have to do. 28. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. That's not in our nature, is it? What does the Bible say? We have to do it. These are simple, basic Christian 101, 101 principles that are, again, very deep and profound. 29, and unto him that smited thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. Hit me again. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. 30, give to every man that asketh thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Is that the golden rule? It is the golden rule. 32. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Hmm. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much. Again, but love your enemies, Jesus says. Jesus says, but love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Judge not. And ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Now, I'm preaching to myself too now. This is for all of us. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Like I did with my three friends. God said forgive, and I forgave, and he blessed. Fast forward to chapter 23 of the same book, Luke 23. Luke 23. Luke chapter 23, we're going to pick up at verse 33. Luke 23, 33. Should be easy to find, amen? amen? Bible says again, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, that word is not pronounced malefactors, it's in the Greek, it's malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is that, does that happen? Is that possible? Is that a reality in this, this life we live in? Yes, it is. And they parted his raiment and did what? Cast lots. So you can be 
You can be cast upon, spit upon, mistreated, defiled. But you have to forgive people. Because Jesus forgave them, and they killed him. Six hours on that cross, from the third to the ninth hour, they crucified our king. And he said, Lord, please forgive them, Father. Please forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And they're going to find out. At that first resurrection, they're going to find out. When they're not brought up in that first resurrection. This is real. Let's go to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Easy to find. John Acts Romans. Romans 12 and verse 9. We all there, amen? All right, praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, please continue to bless these words and please slow down that clock. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Now, let's look and see what that word means. That's a big word, isn't it? Dissimulation. Concealment of one's thoughts, feelings, or character. Pretense. That's a big word. Pretense. These are similar words here at the bottom. Pretense, dissembling, misrepresentation, deceit, dishonesty, duplicity, meaning double-minded, lying, guile, subterfuge, feigning, falsification, shamming, faking. I'll pause there. You get the understanding. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Ten, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Skip down to verse 14, please. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Sometimes we don't see ourselves as we really are, do we? We have a false understanding or appreciation of who we really are. That's why we have to ask God to show us, Lord, who, who am I? Who, who am I really from heaven's point of view and not my own corrupted, stained perspective? I need to know who I really am and get in alignment with your program and not my own. Amen? 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with how many men? This is echoing Hebrews 12, 14. Live peaceably with all men, every human being that we come in contact with. Again, this is not a joke. Let's go to Mark 11 now. Let's go backwards to Mark chapter 11. Talk to us today, Lord, please. Mark 11. We're going to start at verse 24. We're going to read two verses. Amen? Mark 11 and 24, again, the Bible says, Jesus says in red letters, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. That's what our sister Randa said a few minutes ago, right? That's how we have to pray. 25, and when ye stand praying, do what? Forgive, forgive. If ye have aught against any, 
that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Yours. That's a very high principle. So as Jesus has forgiven us, we need to forgive other people, no matter how they treat us. This is a very serious principle. Satan's general conference. Did you know Satan had a general conference? Back in the 17th century with all those demons? Sister White was able to, to look into that. She got some behind-the-scenes information, didn't she? As the people of God approach the perils of the last days, Satan holds earnest consultation with his angels as to the most successful plan of, of overthrowing their faith. Remember, I'm going to break down Hebrews 12, 14 into three parts. Make peace with holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So peace, holiness, and salvation, basically. But we're going to see, brothers and sisters, that holiness and salvation are kind of linked together. Do you want to see that? He sees Satan. He sees that the popular churches, the Sunday churches, are already lulled to sleep by his deceptive power. Hmm. By pleasing sophistry and lying wonders, he can continue to hold them under his control. Therefore, he directs his angels, his demons, to lay their snares, quote, especially for those who are looking for the second advent of Christ, that's us, and endeavoring to keep all the commandments of God. So they have a special assignment. Did you get that? We're not, the Sunday churches, we're good with them. They're, they're all asleep. Let's focus our attention, again, on the remnant of Revelation 12, 17. Let's put them to sleep just like the Sunday churches. The danger is when you're sleeping, you don't know you're sleeping. That's the danger. You're on the couch, you doze off. You don't know you dozed off. You just sleep. Doesn't the parable in Matthew 25 say that all the virgins slumbered and slept? Yes, it does. All of them. This is what he said. This is the section, the first section, make peace with all men. We must be present at all their gatherings. There's a reason why I pray every time I speak, wherever I am, I ask God to remove the demons because of this statement right here. We must be present at all their gatherings. We must cause distraction and division. Uh Uh-oh. Division? You mean one of Satan's, one of his strategies is to cause division in God's church in the remnant of Revelation 12, 17? Did I read that right? All right. Distraction and division. We must destroy their anxiety for their own souls and lead them to criticize, to judge, and to accuse and condemn one another and to cherish selfishness and enmity, hatred toward one another. This is very serious. Can we talk today? Now, our church... 
As of 2021, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, this is referring to, operates 95,297 churches worldwide. However, not every group of members has a church building. They may meet in houses or other buildings, which is why the total number of congregations is 153,253. In the United States and Canada alone, there are 6,257 congregations. He's present at all our gatherings, all of them. This is profound. So what he's saying is, basically, he's in all these places, every church, 153,000 plus, on this planet. Is it possible all this huge number all over the planet, all these churches and groups and organizations that believe the truth, he's causing distraction and division? Is that possible? Is it possible he's doing that all over the world? Does that include the Western Hemisphere? Okay, does that include North America? Does that include the United States of America? Does that include the state of Tennessee? Does that include South Middle Tennessee? You know where I'm going. Criticize, judge, and to accuse and condemn one another, and to cherish selfishness and enmity. For these sins, remember, this is the devil talking. God banished us from his presence, and all who follow our example will meet a similar fate. The, the, the scary thing, brothers and sisters, the scary thing is that people can be taking part in this type of behavior or activity within the church and believe that they are walking right with God, that their heart is right. That's the scary part. That is very scary. They are walking on dangerous ground, very dangerous ground. I would say darkness. He continues. Well, let me go back. He continues. This Again, this is the devil. We can separate many from Christ. Remember now, Sister White says that he's a wise what? General. He was a covering cherub in heaven. The position of cherub in heaven, or cherubim, four wings, seraphim have six wings. The position of, of seraphim, of cherubim, is a position held by just two people, two angels. It's a very prestigious, if I can use that word loosely, very prestigious position. So he's closest to the, to the throne of God, as close to God or the Father as any, any angel could be. So he's very smart. He understands the importance of order. We must do all things decently and in order. Doesn't the Bible say that? 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Sister White says, order is heaven's first law. That's Testimonies, Volume 2. I'm sorry, volume six, place 200, paragraph two. Heaven is order's first law. Now, she says that in the context of our church schools. You can look it up yourself. It's in the context of our church schools that all things should be done decently and in order. I'm just quoting the prophet. They may think themselves safe because they believe that you, again, believing is not enough, but indulgence of appetite. Wait a minute. Is Satan smart? Smarter than us? Yes. But indulgence of appetite or the lower base passions, 
Now, you'll find that many times in the spirit of prophecy, she couples indulgence of appetite and lower base passions together. She does that very, very often. Why? Because they're related. One leads to the other. The lower base passions, which will do what? Confuse judgment and destroy discrimination, reason, will cause their fall. Brothers and sisters, we have, to, we have to study today. We have to study. So remember now, the devil is using this as part of his arsenal to get all of us to be lost. And he's using appetite as one of those things. We're going to see that appetite has a whole lot to do with holiness. This is the real deal. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, please. Let's get it from the Bible first, the Bible. Turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. Are you all hearing me okay? All right, this thing is giving me a little trouble. Isaiah 7. That's much better. Isaiah 7. And I'm going to start at 14. Brother, would you mind turning it up just a little tiny bit because I'm having trouble keeping it close to my mouth. Isaiah 7. Thank you, brother. Verse 14. Are we all there? Amen. All right. Lord, please continue to bless your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. We know that means God with us from Matthew 123. God with us. Key verse 15. Butter and honey shall he eat. That he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. What is this verse telling us? It's telling us that what we eat day to day has a major impact on our frontal lobe, on our ability to reason, to make right choices, to choose righteousness from darkness, from unrighteousness. Do we all see that? The verse is very clear. This is Joseph Bates, one of the pioneers. He was a health reformer before health reforming was a thing. But God was leading his people. He started way back. Remember, the Holy Spirit starts on people's hearts long before the whole general public of the whole world ever knows about it. That's how the Holy Spirit works. The thief on the cross, the thief on the right, Sister White brings out the fact that the Holy Spirit was working on his heart long before Calvary, long before Calvary. He was ripe and ready for the situation when it came and made the right decision. He chose life. But the Holy Spirit was working early in the game. Joseph Bates, tea and coffee given up. In 1828, that's 16 years before, 16 years before the Day of Atonement, right? 1844. At the age of 35, retired from the sea and settled in New Bedford. Up to this time, his attention had not been called to the harmful effects of tea and coffee, and he had continued their use. While he was with his wife on a social visit, tea somewhat stronger than that to which they were accustomed was served to them. Finding himself unable to sleep until after midnight, he associated the effect with the cause. Is that beautiful? The Bible says, as the bird by wallowing and the swallow by flying, so the curse caused less, caused less shall not come. Proverbs 26, 2. So with every curse, with every affliction, with every disease, there's a cause. It doesn't just happen. So he came to the, the 
obvious conclusion, if I sleep soundly all night, which I do, praise God, I fall, I fall asleep within two minutes and I wake up and open my eyes, it's eight hours later. Well, that's what he was used to doing. But he said, wait a minute, the only thing I did different now was that tea. That's the cause. I then became fully satisfied, he declared, and have never seen cause to change my belief since that it was the tea I drank which so affected me. From thence, I became convicted of its intoxicating qualities and discarded the use of it. Soon after this, on the same principle, I had discarded the use of what? Discarded coffee. Coffee and tea, gone from the brother's diet. In his heart-searching preparation for the expected return of Christ, Captain Bates was impressed to make still further reforms in his diet. In February 1843, now this is a little longer, later, right? He says, he relates, I resolved to eat no more meat. And a few months after, I ceased using butter, grease, cheese, pies, and rich cakes. Why? Because he was realizing that the things he was eating were causing things to take place in his physical body. Because we actually know that the old saying is, you are what you eat, right? It's true. Regarding the minor points of reform, he exerted a silent influence. That's wisdom. But did not urge his practices upon others. Is that wisdom? Yes, it is. Sometimes his friends would ask him why he did not partake of flesh meat or grease or highly spiced foods, and he would quietly reply, I have eaten my share of them. <laughs> now that's wisdom from heaven, right? Because brothers and sisters, and I know this, this is a hard subject for a lot of us. This is a hard subject, but it's biblical. It is a biblical subject. We're going to see that today, and I might have to borrow 15 extra minutes, but this is Bible. So he, again, I love his response. We don't come into a restaurant and say, you guys are all going to go to hell, you're eating meat. We don't do that. But most of the time, you go to a place at a church function somewhere. My, my wife and I have been at churches all over this country and overseas and everywhere. And when you walk into the, the fellowship hall, you put your food on your plate, you sit down. People notice. They start peeking. They try not to. They start peeking. And they'll come, a lot of them, they'll come and ask, why didn't you eat this or that? Then the door is open. Can you say amen? The door is open. What we're going to learn today God has a purpose and a plan for all of us. He did not make prominent his, in public or in private his views of proper diet unless asked about them. Naturally, he was gratified when many of his fellow laborers at a later date adopted and began to teach the principles of health reform. He then, he then heartily joined them in speaking freely upon the subject. Again, wisdom, great wisdom. This is John Byington. This is the first, very first General Conference president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I don't have time to read it all. We had our first General Conference in, on May 21st, 1863. It actually started the night before with a meeting on the 20th, and they went all the way to May 23rd, right? Like most camp meetings or conferences do, even today. But less than two weeks later, brothers and sisters, on that date, something wonderful happened. Wonderful. God blessed this church with something wonderful. Do you want to see? Amen. Otsego, Michigan, a little town in Michigan of 4,000 people. 4,000 people. 
the vision at Otsego, Michigan. The Lord gave Sister White a vision there. My wife read this a couple of months ago. We're going to go a little deeper today. A little deeper. It was at the house of Brother A. Hilliard at Otsego, Michigan, June 6, 1863, writes Mrs. Ellen White, that the great subject of health reform was opened before me in a vision. This was less than two weeks after the adjournment of the General Conference. A few months after the memorable health reform vision was given, June 6, 1863, an article entitled Health appeared in Spiritual Gifts, Volume 4, which constitutes the first record of the instruction given at that time on the subject of disease and its what? Causes. Causes. Now, who gave her that vision? God did. As well as its treatment and cure by rational methods or reasonable or logical methods. In later years, Mother wrote still more fully the views given her in 1863 and in subsequent visions. Some of this was republished in The Health Reformer. From the year 1864 to 1914, a period of how many years? 50 years, she carried on her heart a burden of presenting to the Adventist people and through them to the world, that's important, through us to the world, the great light that God had revealed to her regarding health, temperance, self-denial, and what's that word? Holiness. Holiness. Hebrews 12, 14. Make peace with all men and holiness, with holiness. So there's a connection, isn't there? Yes, there is. During this revelation, Mrs. White was given much instruction for the church, us, and also for her husband, who was ill at that time, and herself as concerned their physical welfare. welfare. Listen, but the outstanding feature of the vision was the presentation to Mrs. White of the relation between physical welfare and spiritual health or holiness. Hebrews 12, 14. There's a link there that we cannot, we cannot discard. Or ignore. There's a link between what we eat and holiness. Is that a Bible? All right. It's more than a Bible, though. It is the greatest health manual and medical book ever written. Did you know that? The greatest. Third John 2, beloved. Can you all, class, can you all read this with me? Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. What are those two words in white? All things. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. Is that like prospering like Joel Osteen? No. Or anybody else with money? That means prospering spiritually. And being, wasn't that scary about that sister that walked into that, his church? I just arbitrarily mentioned his name, and I thought about that happened last week. This is, we're living in a dangerous world, aren't we? Very dangerous world. Even as thy soul prospereth. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words and sayings, not depart from thine eyes. Keep them, my words and sayings, in the midst of thine heart. Talking about the word of God, right? For they, my words, are life unto those that find them, and what? Health to all their flesh. You mean, I can be healed by this? Did we just read that? Maybe it can heal us physically too, not just spiritually. We'll see. 
Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, Psalm 107, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his what? Word and what? Healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Does God care about our health? Absolutely. Deeper than most people realize, he cares about every single thing, every aspect of our lives, every nook and cranny. He cares. He knows and he cares. And I love him for that. We don't, we don't show our appreciation for him enough. I know I don't. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man, man, woman, and child, defile the temple of God, this is a temple, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is what? Holy, which temple ye are. He's very serious about what we do with this body because it's basically on lease for a specific period of time that only he knows about. What? Same chapter, chapter 6. Same book, chapter 6. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a what? A price, price of Calvary. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God. So again, this isn't mine. It's his. It's his. Let's get a lesson, a bigger lesson. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. This is the original plan for God as far as our dietary intake. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree, yielding seed. So he gave us fruits, nuts, and grains. That was our original diet as human beings. To you it shall be for what? Meat. Now that doesn't mean steak or T-bone steak. That means food in the Bible. Meat means food. We're talking about here physical food. I know most of us here know that. So this is what we're going to call diet number one. Is everybody with me? Diet number one. After the, no, I got to make a point here first. Now, watch this very carefully. And to every beast of the earth, this is the next verse, verse 30, and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, for food, and it was so. So even the animals were subsisting on a plant-based diet. God's intention was not to kill animals at all. So humans and animals, all ate plant-based diets. That's diet number one. Diet number two, this is after our first parents fell, after sin entered the human family. God had to make some adjustments. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In other words, vegetables, vegetation. Why? Because vegetables, by definition, have restorative properties in them, not only for our physical body, but also for our minds. Because there's a close sympathy that exists between the two of them. So God says, okay, there's nothing to eat now. Well, there is something. I'm sorry. Let me, let me not get ahead of myself. They fell. They sinned. They separated themselves from me. So I got to bring them back. The way I have to start doing that is by feeding them a proper diet to get their minds straight in alignment with my plan and my purpose. 
that's how important eating is every day. It's very important. Again, we're just talking about biblical principles, not Brother Bridges' opinion. Diet number three. This is after the flood. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, Genesis 9, 3, or food, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So now everything was washed away after the flood. There's nothing else to eat. No vegetation. So God said, okay, I'm going to give you something to eat. But it's, it's going to be temporary. We call it the emergency diet. So three diets. Diet before the fall. Diet after the fall. And diet after the flood. Is everybody with me so far? All right. So the three diets by definition, the original diet, before the fall, fruits, nuts, and grains. The restoration diet after the fall, fruits, nuts, grains, and he added vegetation, correct? The emergency diet after the flood, he added flesh food, but it was only in emergencies. Most emergencies only last for a short period of time. They don't last forever. So this was an emergency diet that was temporary until the emergency was over. Unfortunately, mankind didn't comply, did they? We're going to see that. How flesh foods came into existence. Antediluvians ate flesh before the time. Mm. Since the first surrender to, ap to appetite, man, that's talking about Sister Eve, right? And her husband Adam. Since the first surrender to appetite, mankind have been growing more and more self-indulgent until health has been sacrificed on the altar of what? Appetite. Again, this is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of love. I want you to all understand that. This is a message of love. God loves us. The inhabitants of the antediluvian world were intemperate in eating and drinking. They would have flesh meats, get this, although God had not at that time given man no permission to eat animal food. They ate and drank till the indulgence of the depraved appetite knew no bounds. And they became so corrupt that God could bear with them no longer. Their cup of iniquity was full, and he cleansed the earth of its moral pollution <clears throat> by a flood. By a flood. So they jumped the gun, and they were eating long before that, long before the flood. Ye shall take with you seven each of every clean animal. We all know this, a male and his female. Two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Still amazes me how all the unbelievers there saw these animals marching slowly toward the ark and didn't think it was unusual. In single file, walking into that ark. Something should have sparked their minds, but again, their minds were gone. They were completely numb to spiritual things, totally. The diet of animals is vegetables and grains. Must the vegetables be animalized? Must they be incorporated into the system before you can get them? Must we obtain our vegetable diet by eating the flesh of dead creatures? God provided fruit in its natural state for our first parents. After the fall, the eating of flesh was allowed or suffered in order, why? To shorten the period of the existence of the long-lived race. That's what God did. It was a curse. It was allowed because of the hardness of the hearts of men. One of the great errors that many insist upon is that muscular strength is dependent upon animal food. And I used to think that. I used to bodybuild in the gym in my younger days for years. And we all thought, red meat, you got to eat red meat to get buffed. It's a myth. But the simple grains, fruits of the trees, 
and vegetables have all the nutritive properties necessary to make good blood. This a flesh diet cannot do. It's all about good blood. So we don't necessarily eat food based on taste, although taste is always a blessing, but we should be more concerned with how our blood is affected. Leviticus 17.11, Leviticus 17.18, and Deuteronomy 12.23 all say the same thing. The life of the flesh is in the blood. It's in the blood. Dirty blood, dirty life, disease. All these things start to come into your life, into your body, when the blood is unclean. The blood has to be pure. And God has given us the answer to having pure blood with the self-reformed message. Can somebody please say amen? After the flood, the people ate largely of animal food. God saw that the ways of man were corrupt and that he was disposed to exalt himself proudly against his creator and to follow the inclinations of his own heart. We saw that, we see that in Genesis 11, right? With the building of the Tower of Babel. This is just a few hundred years after the flood. Just a few hundred years. And they're trying to exalt themselves and get to heaven so they can avoid another flood. It's amazing how mankind thinks, but it's all instigated by the devil. We all know that. And he permitted that long-lived race to eat animal food to shorten their sinful lives. Soon after the flood, the race began to rapidly decrease in size and in length of years. Let's see a diagram of that in a second. So ten generations before the flood, brothers and sisters, look how long people lived. Average lifespan, 912 years. Is that amazing? Would you want to live that long? Sure got quiet in here. (laughs) Ten years after the flood. Big difference, huh? I mean, Shem, 600 years was big time then, but it, it, it gradually, slowly began to continually diminish and decrease. Lifespan, 317. That's a big difference, isn't it? That's a 600-year-or-so difference. So you have these great men that were living 800, 900 years. Probably the Bible doesn't give us in the record, the biblical record, but maybe they were living 1,000 years or longer. We know Methuselah lived 969, right? Longest man, living man on record was Methuselah. But this is incredible to me, 900 years. I'm barely over half a century. And I'm, I'm, these, this is unreal. But this was, this was God's original plan. Now, this is us. Look all the way down here now. From all these brothers here down to, that's us right here. Right? Munchkins. 70 years. What does the Bible say about that? Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet in their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we do what? Fly away. I praise God for brother and sister love joy. Aren't they a blessing? Over 90? Blessing. God is faithful. God is faithful. Ye shall eat neither fat nor blood. These are restrictions regarding flesh food. Now, when you go into a Kroger, no disrespect, brother. (laughs) When you walk into a Kroger supermarket and you go to the meat section, isn't it nice how all all the meat products are all nice and shiny and red, and they have the nice light shining on them to make them look palatable. Isn't that nice? They do that for a reason. They do that to make them look palatable. But brother, sister, 
is that it's impossible to avoid eating meat with blood. It is impossible to do that. And even back then, they had to go through a long process of beating the flesh over and over and over and over again to get all the blood out of it. It was a long, prolonged, protracted process to do that. So it's impossible to avoid this in 2024. Also eat within three days. Do you think that meat in that supermarket is is three days old or less? Uh -uh. Absolutely not. So we were... God's people back then were mandated to eat clean animals, no blood, no fat, and eat it within three days. That's impossible today. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel? You don't have to say it out loud. So we, we have an acronym we use. We call it SAD, the Standard American Diet. The Standard American Diet. The Standard American Diet. Standard American diet. Mm-hmm. Standard American diet. And on and on, right? Now, all these things taste great. They taste great. But what do they lead to? Diabetes, stroke, sleep apnea, hypertension. What else do they have there? Liver malfunction, cancer, varicose veins, osteoarthritis. You know, it really saddens me. I see people out there and are really suffering. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, and I'm going to have to cut this short in a few minutes, seven-day Adventists have the answer. God has given us great light on health. We have the answer. That's why Jesus used the same method when he went out and preached for three and a half years. When he started his public ministry, he started with health because he knows full well when you heal somebody, help somebody to feel better, they're going to be more open. Their hearts are going to be softened and pliable and willing to hear anything else you have to say. You made me feel better. What else do you have? Surely you must be the Messiah. So God has given us an antitypical healing process we call medical missionary work. He's given us a beautiful message to use to win the world to Jesus through the same process Jesus used. Jesus is our example. We know that from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He's our example. He left us an example that we should follow his steps. So he healed. We're supposed to heal too. In his last days, Elvis suffered from obesity, drug addiction, depression, chronic insomnia, glaucoma, high blood pressure, liver damage, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic constipation, and enlarged colon. I'm telling you, all these are eating-related conditions, every single one. Every single one. It has been reported that Elvis had between 30 to 40 pounds of feces stuck in his colon, at the time of his death. He died a very young man, 42 years old. It didn't have to be. If he just had our message, if somebody could have got him a steps to Christ or somebody could have got him a counsels on diet and foods or something, healthful living, his brother could have, long, could have lived a long and fruitful life. But that is the condition of many, many people in America. And the, sad Ameri- the standard American diet has gone worldwide. And nations now that used to be very, very healthy are now suffering the same conditions and illnesses and diseases that we are. Many countries. It's a worldwide situation. In Egypt, their tastes had become converted, perverted. Excuse me. God designed to restore their appetite to a pure, healthy state in order that they might enjoy the simple fruits. Talking about his people, Israel, when they were in bondage. That they were given to Adam and Eve in Eden. He was about to establish them in a second Eden, a goodly land, Canaan, 
where they might enjoy the fruits and grains that he would provide for them. Unless the people, please, brothers and sisters, get this point, please. She says, unless the people who acknowledged him as the God of heaven were in perfect soundness of health, his name could not be glorified. That's a strong statement. That is a very strong strong statement. The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt and with the emeralds and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou canst not be healed. Notice he says the botch of Egypt. So what, he's, what the Lord was telling his people is, okay, you want to assimilate with them? You want to eat like them and live like them? You're going to suffer the consequences. You are a separate and distinct people. You are supposed to be a peculiar people in every way, shape, and form. So you have to suffer the consequences of your wrongdoings, of your decisions as my people. So these are some of the diseases, the Old Testament diseases, boils, inflammation. Inflammation is big. It causes a lot of problems. Leprosy, loss of appetite, hmm. burning ague or fever, foot disease, fever, hay fever, malaria, typhoid, and yellow fever, consumption, emeralds or hemorrhoids, itch, sunstroke, ulcers, mildew. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 15, brothers and sisters. I'm going to wind down. Exodus 15. Remember now, we're talking about holiness, holiness. Exodus chapter 15. We're going to look at a beautiful promise here before we close up. Beautiful promise. We all there? Verse 26, Exodus 15, 26. When you all get get there, please respond by saying amen. And said, meaning the Lord, if, that's a big word, isn't it? If thou wilt diligently, diligently, Does that mean half-heartedly? No. Diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep how many of his statutes? All his statutes. So is he about to tell us something that has conditions? It's conditional. The Lord says, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that does what? Healeth thee. So it's a condition, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read a few more quotes, and we're going to close. People in the 1800s didn't die because of diet. Heart disease was not included in textbooks. Cancer, diabetes, and hypertension were considered wealthy diseases because most Americans could not afford meat. Wealthy people back then ate like most Americans eat today. When meat began to become affordable in the 20th century, the rate of chronic disease skyrocketed. This is not Sister White, by the way. The cause was a shift from a plant-based dominant diet to animal-based diet. There's a video on the Internet right now. It's called Eating. Look for it. It's very, very good. The brother uh, produced this back in the early 2010s. It's a deep video. The biggest dietary change in human history ushered in an era of eating-related diseases. By the mid-1900s, we ate more meat than we weighed, 225 pounds of meat per year. That was the case with Elvis Presley, I'm sure, without a doubt. 
The brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate to man and affect his inmost life. So the frontal lobe has to be clear so we can hear God speaking to us. Amen. Let me get to my final, final quote, then we're going to pray. Disease never comes without a cause. I'm going to continue this next time I speak. Let me close with this one. This is somber. I'm going to close with it. In the judgment, we shall see how seriously God regards the violation of the laws of health. We all struggle. Appetite is something that's very difficult to overcome, but God is saying, I can help you overcome it. I want to save you, but this is an important part of salvation. Seventh-day Adventists have been given enormous light on this subject, and this is what God wants us to use, not only to clean up our act, but to get the other sheep out there in the world. This is the same method Jesus used. It's the same method he wants us to use. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful you presented us with wonderful information, wonderful light, wonderful truth. Again, we know, Lord, you're not condemning us. You know we're weak, fragile, erring, sinful human beings. But you sent the king of heaven. You sent a savior to save us. As our dear brother Billy read this morning, that Christ came to this earth. He died for us. He died for us. We're told in Romans 5, 6, that in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Please help us, Lord, wherever we're failing, wherever we're slipping, wherever we're tempted, wherever we are yielding to temptation. Help us all, Lord, within the sound of my voice and beyond to be overcomers in this life so we can be with you forever and ever, eternally. Thank you for the message. We love and ask you, and thank you for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.